Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pickney, and today's episode is unique. I had the opportunity to sit down with Judge Carlton Jones, who is running for the position to judge on the Arkansas Supreme Court. Judge Jones is a graduate from the University of Arkansas. He has practiced law for over 35 years, and after serving as a prosecuting attorney, was elected actually as the very first black circuit judge on the 8th Circuit South. With no further ado, here is today's episode with Judge Carlton Jones. So was this your first time in Paragold? It is. It really is. Um, you know, I've been in Northeast Arkansas and several other locations, you know, Jonesboro, Blytheville, a couple of other places, but I had never been to Paragold. Um, knew several people, you know, that I'd encountered in my lifetime, but hadn't made it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to the big city. Well, um, you know, from um, knowing about Paragold, though, however, you know, I was, uh, you know, okay, I used to think it was like, you know, 18, 20,000, and then last evening when we were coming in, I saw the sign, you know, and I'm like, whoa, they're right at 30,000. It's growing. And um, speaking with, you know, a couple of people from up here, um, they were talking about how much growth had occurred in the last, you know, 15, 20 years or so. And so that's a good thing to have yeah. happening um, yeah. because that means, you know, the people are working, the people mm-hmm. are moving forward, the economy is vibrant, and, um, you know, the economy as it's been, I'd say, the past you know, 10, 15 years has yeah. been up and down. Yes. Um, so it's always a good thing to see communities that are growing. Yeah, our, we've been really blessed to have leadership that has been just really well aligned and has rallied around kind of a common vision. And I was talking actually with Sue McGowan, who was at Iron sure. Horse, I know with you, and, and she was telling me just how rare that is, that you don't have that in a lot of places. So we're blessed to have that. And um, I, I'm going to start by asking you a question about the Supreme Court. And I actually felt real embarrassed about this question until I talked with a civics teacher who was at our church, and she was like, look, it." she pulled out her textbook, and she said, this is how much it talks about the state Supreme Court. And she's like, so any question you ask, I promise you, anybody else is going to probably have that question to the normal citizen. So tell me kind of in layman's terms, what is the purpose of the state Supreme Court? So for those who are listening, how would you explain it to just a common person like me? Well, um, the state Supreme Court, and I'm going to try to stay out of the weeds. Sure. Um, is the court of last resort on the state level. Okay. Um, it is the highest level appellate court. And what it does is it reviews decisions of the lower courts in the state of Arkansas. Um, you hear people referring to all the time that this was appealed to this court. Well, in the state of Arkansas, there are four court levels. There's a district court level, which handles most of your misdemeanors and your traffic citations, things of that nature, game and fish violations. Those, um, if there's a person that, you know, is unhappy with what has happened in the district court, then it gets appealed and it goes to the circuit court, which is the court that most people in the state are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe the district court, because a lot of folks get traffic tickets and a lot of folks get game and fish violations. Um, So a lot of people end up in that court. But more people end up where you have the circuit courts, wherein you have the jury trials and the major trials that come across, you know, all the way from a traffic ticket all the way up to capital murder. And that is what, you know, we handle on a regular basis. Those uh, questions that come out of that court, you know, a ruling or a verdict or whatever the case may be, they're appealed and there are two court levels above the circuit court. And that is the Court of Appeals, which is your first level appellate court. And then there's the State Supreme Court, which Mm -hmm. is the highest level. Now, issues that are commonplace, 
you know, that occur in or are decided in in the circuit courts, when they are appealed, fully 95, 97% of those go to the Court of Appeals, and they're going to address those issues and resolve those issues, and that is going to be the end of the line unless, you know, one of the litigants or the defendant or whatever the case may be is unhappy with the result they receive at the Court of Appeals. Then they may ask the state Supreme Court to review what the Court of Appeals did. Only if it's a new question, a constitutional question, or something along those lines of significant import as far as the law is concerned, is then the state Supreme Court going to take it up. The state Supreme Court does, though, however, anytime there is a death sentence entered, it's going to be appealed up to the state Supreme Court. Hmm. If there is a constitutional question, okay, that raises an issue of maybe a statute or some other regulation or anything that runs potentially counter to the state constitution, that's going to come to uh, the state Supreme Court. It is not going to be appealed to the Court of Appeals. Any question like that, you know, um, such as interpretation of a statute or things of those natures, those will be in the state Supreme Court and that's within their jurisdiction. Okay, that was a really good explanation. And I have some follow-up questions. So how many cases, roughly, would the state Supreme Court see a year? Now, that's a good question that I actually have not sat down and calculated. It is fewer than, though, the Court of Appeals. Okay. okay. Because the Court of Appeals handles more of just the general, basic, I don't like this sure, verdict. Exactly. Or I don't like this ruling from a trial judge. And those happen all the time. But... Um, the law on many of those issues is settled. Yes. So the Court of Appeals is going to just review it to see if the trial judge right. um, applied the law correctly in right. that instance. And if it is, then that's pretty much the end of the case because, you know, if the Supreme Court has already given some direction on it, then the Court of Appeals is bound by what the Supreme Court has said is the law on that matter. So it's not yeah. going to be something that goes even any further than that. So in theory, if the the higher up you go, kind of in the court system, the fewer cases they're going to probably see. Because Absolutely, you're getting. I mean, a lot of the the cases are getting settled, you know, before they even get. So if a case does make it to the Supreme Court, like, is it usually going to take a while? Or yes, the- yes. You know, there is a briefing schedule, okay, um, that is going to have to be you know followed because once that is you know, filed with the Supreme Court, um, you have to brief it, okay? You have to tell the court what the issues are that you have a problem with. Um, Then, of course, you have to address, you know, how the law is or you think the law was misinterpreted or an extension of what you think the law might ought to be, even though it is not presently in that state judge, judge's court. This is where we believe, based upon what other states have done, what the United States Supreme Court has done or what some, you know, court of appeals in another jurisdiction has done. Here's where we think, because our statutes, our constitutional provisions are similar to theirs, and here's where they came down. This is something that we think is a proper extension of how to interpret this or how to read this or how to apply this. Sure. Randy has talked about you just the extensive amount of experience you have, uh, that he thinks makes you best equipped for uh, this work to serve as a judge in the Arkansas State uh, uh, Supreme Court. 
before we kind of get to that, I want to talk a little bit about your experience. Yes, sir. Um, and I've, I've looked at a little bit of, you know, I've got on your website. I know a little bit about you, but not just a ton. Tell me kind of where you came from. So those who are listening to this, they might be interested, like who is, you know, Judge Jones. You said you're born and raised in Texarkana. Is that I right? Was. I was. So I ha- tell me kind of how you got to where you are today. Well, um, okay, I'm number 10 of 11 children. Wow. Okay, my parents – um, had 11 kids, um, you know, they stressed the importance of achieving, okay? And whether it was going to college or just going out into the labor market, you know, you were going to go at it and you were going to go at it with everything you had. And so I ended up attending the University of Arkansas, um, obtained a bachelor's degree in political science in 1985, then um, went to law school, um, graduated from law school in two and a half years. Um, mm. That was what uh, December of 1987. But of course, my diploma says January two of 1988. So I graduated mm-hmm. in the 88 class. Um, then um, went to work over in Eastern Arkansas at um, a legal services program. I was living in Helena. Our main office was in West Memphis, and we had a satellite office in Blytheville, and a satellite office in Helena, and I was in the uh, satellite office in Helena. I love the work. Um, it, you know, was assisting people that were on a spectrum of not understanding what their rights were under the law and what the protections were out there for them. And we were constantly assisting these people um, on issues as far as their finances, as far as circumstances they had with debt or creditor law, things of that nature. And um, so one day, um, late 1989, um, one of my paralegals, who is a friend of mine to this day, lives in Mariana, and um, she uh, was walking through the office. She comes into my office, and she has the old Arkansas Gazette in her hands, and she says, Carlton Miller County, you know, she says, isn't that Texarkana where you're from? I said, it is. Why? And um, she said, um, they have a job for a deputy prosecuting attorney there, you know. And so I applied and was hired by the then prosecuting attorney, uh, Jim Hudson. And um, so um, at the time, I didn't know he had designs on running for circuit court judge, which he did. He won. Um, myself and one of the other deputy prosecuting attorneys thought about, talked about, and then I decided it was better that he run because he had been back home working as a deputy prosecutor longer than myself. So I was a deputy prosecuting attorney with now Judge Brent Haltom, who is right down the hall from me in the Miller County Courthouse. And I was a deputy prosecutor until 2010 when I ran for prosecuting attorney and was elected in wow. a contested race and got 70% of the vote. Wow. Um, and if you want to make uh, Judge Haltom angry, remind him that I had a higher vote percentage <laughs> than, I, than he did, even in his home county, which was originally Lafayette County. And um, so um, after that, um, I was the elected prosecuting attorney. Um, historically speaking, um, I am the first African-American ever oh, elected wow. to that position. Um, what an honor. Justice Holly yeah. Neal, who was on, you know, the Court of Appeals, um, he was appointed as a prosecuting attorney. He's an African-American male, and he was appointed to the prosecuting attorney's office over in 
Um, I think that's the first district. And um, he's one of those who makes it uh, pretty clear. And I know, um, I think, uh, Judge Scott Ellington, mm-hmm. who used to be mm-hmm. the prosecuting attorney here, myself and, you know, Judge Ellington go way back. And um, there was, I'm trying to remember if it was a Black History Month celebration or an MLK Day, but um, my phone starts ringing and it's, you know, Judge Ellington. And he says, I've got Judge Neal over here. And I was going through his bio and um, – He's now made it clear, you know, that, you know, when it gets down to being the first, he says, you're really the first. He says, because he was appointed, you were elected, and there's a big difference. You know, he says, and I'm over here trying to sing this guy's praises, and he's over here telling everybody about you. (laughs) So you said you did that in 2010? Is that right? Yes. um, 20 and January 1st of 2011. That's it. Yeah. What did you learn? I'm so... You know, most people who listen to this are probably not prosecuting attorneys, nor will they ever be or know anything about it. Tell me what that's like. You know, we had Sonia uh, Haygood on here. She's been here a couple of different times. And, you know, Randy's been on here. We've had Dan Stidham and Judge Goodson, who said to tell you hello, by the way. Yes. And so um, tell me what that is like. Like what life as a prosecuting attorney, what appealed to you about that, that, that kind of work? And, and maybe what's something that you took away from your time? Um, you know the best thing about being a prosecuting attorney in your hometown? No. It's the same thing as the worst thing about being a prosecuting attorney <laughs> in your hometown. Um, when things occur, uh, you generally know many of the people involved. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was extremely helpful because they there was already a pre-existing relationship. But it could also become stressful because there was a pre-existing yes, relationship. Absolutely. The thing that um, drew me to it was um, it is one of the best ways as an attorney you can help your community, okay? Mm-hmm. Because there are people in our communities that need um, help, okay? And as a prosecuting attorney, you learn to know the difference between good people who are in bad circumstances and then just some bad people. Mm-hmm. And those two are different tracks of people, and you have to deal with them differently. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? Yes. Um, If you've lived long enough, you've known somebody in your lifetime who is a person for all intents and purposes is a good person, okay, but end up, you know, using drugs, um, getting hooked on drugs and alcohol, and it causes them to do things that they otherwise would not, okay, commit what I call stupid crimes. Yes, yes. um, And, you know, do things that are out of general character for them. Yeah, um, I could go into a couple yep. of stories that yeah. you know, and it's just like you know, you're brilliant. Why are you doing this? Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, you're stealing from this business just so that you can go back to the front door and then try to sell them their product again. Okay, <laughs> and it's just like, wait a minute, you have two college degrees, you've been in the United States military, you're an officer. Wow. Okay, and so, um. You know, helping that person ultimately get off drugs, you know, putting them in treatment and making it a condition of, you know, their rehabilitation as far as conditions of probation and supervision. Um, You know, you're forcing their hand. And help me, yeah, help me understand how that works. And just again, that's the common person listening to this. As a prosecuting attorney, like sometimes I'm just like, oh, you just come in to bring the hammer, you know, and you're just like, you know, so it's like, I know that's an outside perception looking in, but here you're talking about as a prosecuting attorney, you're able to help not just those who have you know the victim so to speak but even those who maybe committed the crime of how does that work um 
as described, like, you know, in this instance, you know, this person is on probation, supervision, you know, and you require it as part of okay. yeah, what yeah. their probation is, is you're going into drug treatment. I'm not going to tell you which one you're going to choose. I don't need to be doing that, but you're going to bring me something that shows that you are in going to be enrolled in an inpatient drug and alcohol treatment program. Maybe you can do well without patient, but you're going to show us the results. Good. Okay. Um, then of course there are individuals that it does not take relapse tends to be a part of drug and alcohol use. Um, however, um, the community correction centers in the state of Arkansas. Um, one of them, I ultimately, you know, his father and my family went back years. He graduated with one of my older siblings, really intelligent, great guy. Um, and he just couldn't stay off of it. So I told his father, uh, they buzzed me. I'm in the office one day and they said, his father's out here, wants to talk to you. And I just told him then, you know, no. I said, he's going in, he's going into community correction. He's going to do the nine month drug and alcohol program. Mm. And then, you know, I think this might yes. help him. And so, you know, you help those individuals. And once he was out, I knew everything was well because his dad was letting him drive his truck again, <laughs> you know, and if he had been using and doing those things that were detrimental and destructive, his dad wouldn't have let him drive right. that vehicle. And he had gotten a job again and was doing great. That's like, how many of, you know, you served, obviously, you're a judge and you've been prosecuted attorney. Like, how many of the cases that you've tried involve addiction in some kind? Is it a... Um, it is a very high percentage, okay? Mm. Um, you know, it. we have uh, issues in, in, in our state and in our country with drug and alcohol use and abuse. We have problems with a uh, lack of mental health care. Yes. Um, to get people in before, you know, something tragic occurs. Um, you know, I advocate for that because I know that there is a big distinction between individuals who are good individuals who do some things and then just some folks that's just bad folks. Yeah. Okay. And it's their intent to go out and harm and do bad things. And, you know, there's there's different ways to handle those two problems. There are people that, um, as a prosecuting attorney, you knew, you know, our only resolution and solution for this person is, you know, you're going to have to be in confinement um, because we have to be able to protect society, yes. um, you know, and the general public from you. But then there are other individuals that we know with proper rehabilitation they're back out there, they're working, they're paying their own freight, you know, because otherwise we're still paying for them. Yes. Do we, do you think, and I'm going to think of the way I can ask this question, and hopefully it makes sense. It seems like, I'll make a statement and maybe ask a question. It seems like, again, from the outside looking in, that there's a lot of people in the past who maybe are good people who just cannot get out of their own way because of addiction. And they really aren't a danger to society, but we just like throw them in prison anyway. And then we have those that truly are a danger to society. And it's like, in my mind, it makes sense to be, okay, let's get the ones that are a danger to my wife and my kids and my family in prison. And the ones who are in addiction, let's get them into rehab. Am I thinking through that correctly? Am I missing something? No, I don't think you're missing anything. Um, you know, for me, um, that is an appropriate analysis of the situation um, because there are always going to be dangerous people and there's no two ways about it. You have to do something that protects society from sure. them. 
But then there is that segment of the population that because of drug and alcohol abuse or mental health issues and concerns that we can address, okay, without, you know, using prison beds. We need to save the prison beds for the bad guys and put them up. Um, And so, you know, that is of benefit to society when we can rehabilitate folks who can be rehabilitated because those individuals can become contributing members rather than somebody that we are paying for them to be incarcerated and paying for people to guard them and we're paying to feed them and medical care and all of that. And we have to do that. That is part of what we must do as a society. But at the same time, we need to decide, you know, um, who, who we're going to lock up okay, yeah. and why. And yes. make it be a rational basis. Is there a story that sticks out to you? I want to talk about your time as a judge in just a moment. But when you look back on your days as a prosecuting attorney, is there um, – is there a story that you're most proud of or a case that you've served on or just anything that sticks out to you that you think you'll always remember? Ooh, well, um, there could be quite a few of those. Um, you know, a lot of them are tragic. Then the happier ones are the ones that, you know, I try and remember sure. and dwell more on. And one of them is, is one of these situations of where the rehabilitation took. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a young lady who... Um, We had made an agreement, me, her, her attorney, um, and she was going to go into community punishment for the long-term treatment. And um, she asked my predecessor on this division of the circuit bench, was not part of our agreement, if she could uh, remain out on bond until she was to report. And so, you know, the judge asked me, and I said, Judge, that's not part of our agreement. And if so, you know, if she wants to modify the agreement, then I'll withdraw the agreement. And judge says, not part of the deal. I'm taking you into custody today. Mm. Okay. Which he did. Here, a few years later, um, I um, was leaving a visitation um, at, a, at a funeral. And I'm walking out. And I hear this person call my name. And I didn't immediately recognize them. And they said, aren't you Judge Jones? And I said, yes, why? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to set a new low. I'm fixing to get yelled yeah, at, yeah. at a funeral visitation yeah, yeah. here. And she says, well, can I talk to you over here? You know, away from everybody. <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, uh, at least uh, I'm going to get yelled at in private, you know. And so, um, you know, she says, I want to thank you. And I said, okay. You know, she said, do you remember who I am? And I said, I'm beginning to recognize you again. And she says, you know, the day that we were in court, you know, and you told, you know, Judge, that Judge Griffin, if you, if, if, if I, you know, am released today, that you didn't think I would come back? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And she says, I wasn't coming back. She said, I had every intention that if you let me, if Judge Griffin had let me go that day, I was gone. And she says, but you saved my life. She says, you know, I'm now, I'm married. I have two kids. Mm -hmm. Finished my associate's degree working on my bachelor's. You know, I'm married and working. Mm -hmm. And she says, that's because I went through that program. She said, if I had gone out of there, I don't know where I would have ended up. And she says, I hated you for the first three months. Mm -hmm. She says, I just hated you every single day. And she says, then finally it just started coming to me. So those are the things yeah, yeah, that you're, yeah. you know, you most Absolutely. remember and are proud of because you helped somebody 
go further in life. Absolutely. That had the potential to go further in life, and now they're maximizing that potential. Um, you see potential wasted, and, you know, that's disheartening. And um, that is not something that any of us um, ought to want to see. No. You talk about going further in life and reaching your potential. Eventually, you were uh, elected as a circuit judge. Yes, sir. In 2014. What made you decide to take that path in your career? Well, you know, I, I um, number one, I love public service. Number two, um, I'm a curious sort. And, you know, all of our judges in our judicial district, we do one-third of everything. So um, 25 years as a prosecutor, I had seen pretty much everything criminal you could think of. Mm. But going back in and dealing with contract cases and child custody cases and divorces and probate and all of the above and all the rest, you know, it's some interesting reading and interesting work that goes on. And it just fulfills. And when you say it's interesting, do you mean like just the people itself of just like, or sorry, what are you talking about? It is even part? more mundane than that. It is sometimes just the cases and the concepts and the principles and the parts of the law that you've been away from for so long. And now, you know, you're delving back into it and you're remembering things from when you were in law school. Okay. Mm. And go on and say, Oh, I remember that. Let's check into this, you know? And, um, so some of the issues that get presented, um, you know, are things that you had presented in the textbooks when you were in law school that, you know, 25, 30 years sure. you hadn't seen. Yeah. And so now it's another opportunity to learn and serve the public. So it fulfills both of those, you know, I guess needs, obligations yeah. or whatever I yes, have, yes. you know, that says, Hey, I like doing this. Yeah. What is the most, uh, maybe difficult case you've had to try as a judge? Um, it was a young man, um, and I know his family and he committed a pretty, pretty heinous, um, act. Fortunately, the victim survived. Um, she was victim of, you know, um, rape and kidnapping. And, um, you know, when, when the jury came back, they convicted him of, you know, uh, several of, well, all of them, but several of them were extremely serious and they carried up to a life imprisonment sentence. Um, the jury recommended a 40 year sentence on, you know, like four of the most serious offenses. And so, you know, you're looking at the young man and, um, he's never really been in any real trouble in his life, but he went all the way from doing nothing to you did some really heinous things here. But at the same time, you have to balance, you know, this this interest of protecting the public and vindicating vindicating this victim's rights because she was, you know, assaulted in her own home. Mm. Okay. And then she's kidnapped and terrorized for several hours, Goodness. you know. Um, so it was one of those situations of where, you know, this is this is tough because you're a young man and there might be some potential for you to get your life together. Yes. But you went so far over the line to where there's no way that you could consciously consider, you know, giving this low end of the spectrum of the sentence. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was pretty difficult, but um, ultimately um, after thinking it through and going to the office and 
praying about it, you know, I decided here's what we have to do. Um, and we have to at least, you know, sentence him um, in a manner that lets everybody know that this was a serious offense. Yeah. Um, and, yes, there's some hope that, yes, he can make parole, but there's some hope that he will um, come out a better person. I'm going to ask what probably is an ignorant question. I know that, say, in a jury trial, it, the judge is right there to kind of keep some order in the court, right? And yes. so make sure everything's flowing correctly, how hey, you're out of line. No, yes, we will do this. Kind of calling the shots, right, a little bit. Yes. Does, after you know, after everything's been presented and the jury has to make a decision, what is your role in that process as a judge? Well, um, as a trial judge, you know, you have the jury, and they are the finders of fact, okay? They find what is true and what is not true in the testimony and the presentation of the evidence in the case. Um, as the trial judge, you're applying the law, okay, to all of these facts and factors that come into play. Once that jury has reached a decision on a verdict, then the court, the trial judge, you know, can either accept or reject the jury's verdict, okay? Now, if the court accepts the verdict, then, of course, you sentence the defendant according to what the jury has recommended because the jury verdict is, under Arkansas law, a recommendation of a sentence, okay? Um, does The court is not bound by it, but I've always found it to be rather di disingenuous if you're going to have these 12 folks come up here and make a decision and tell you what the community thinks for you not to accept what the community thinks. Mm -hmm. um, so you have the option of setting it aside, uh, but I've not encountered a situation where um, I believed the jury missed the mark, yeah. so to speak. You know, and are they given the guidelines of like, hey, if 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 he's guilty or she's guilty of this, here's what the sentencing can be, those kind of things. What you know, um, without going into the terminology, it's a two part tr process. You have the uh, guilt innocence phase. Okay, and then they find the person guilty or not guilty. If they find them guilty, then you tell them, okay, you found them guilty of this, and here are the punishments for these offenses. Okay. And so you may now go back and retire and ah. sentence, recommend accordingly okay. what you think an appropriate sentence would be. Okay. What do you think, and I know most people don't like to brag on themselves and it feels awkward, what do you think those who know you best would say makes you a good judge? Um, two things. Uh, fairness and integrity. Um, you know, I uh, tell people, you know, that um, I don't want you ever to leave the courtroom where I've presided and said, I don't think I got a fair shake because Judge Jones was interested in this case or he didn't like this lawyer or that lawyer or mm. he didn't like this defendant or this litigant or whatever the case may be. Now, you might say he was absolutely wrong. He missed the point, mm -hmm. you know, of the presentation. He was wrong on the law. He was wrong on the facts. That happens. That's why there are appellate courts. Um, but, you know, I don't want you to ever leave a courtroom. Now, um, at the level of the appellate judges, you know, when I'm running for position two, you have to um, review the law and make sure that, you know, the trial court judges apply the law correctly. And so you just have to look at it with that principle of was the law applied correctly? And whether I agree or disagree, if it was applied correctly, it's the obligation of an appellate court judge to 
affirm that and move yeah. to the next case. If the loss is not applied correctly, then, you know, you reverse it, remand it, and, sure. you know, for other proceedings. And whether you like it or not. Well, tell me this. How do you remain balanced? How do you remain fair? Like, how do you keep from being biased or maybe even cynical? You know, like, I think that that's my temptation is he's like, I want to remain, you used a word I think is great. Like, I want to remain curious, not judgmental. And the fact that, like, I already know everything about you, whatever it's like. And no matter what you say, I've already made up a decision, but go ahead. How do you keep from doing that? Well, um, and you said the magic words, we're all humans, okay? Um, one of the first things about uh, bias is understanding that we all have them. It does not mean that you're a bad person. It just means that in your life, there may have been some experience, sure. you know, that you've encountered or come across that has um, provided you, you yeah. know, with how you formed an opinion yes. on a particular matter. It's formed your perspective yes. in a unique way, yeah. Yes. And so um, when we know that, when we know that, then it is best we remove ourselves from it. You know, that is why, um, you know, there are the recusal rules. Um, if you don't think that you can easily set it aside, then you need to recuse. Um, in those instances um, where we have, you know, an unconscious bias, okay, not understanding that we may have something within us that, you know, promotes or, you know, has fostered a bias in one way or the other toward persons or events or whatever the case may be, we as judges always ought to do what I call a self-check to determine whether we have those. Um, and if we do, then, you know, there's a couple of ways to address it, you know, by, of course, you know, seeking, you know, training. And there are trainings on, you know, um, unconscious bias. And um, if, you know, if you can't set it aside, get yes. out of the case. Yeah. You are obviously seeking a position now in the Arkansas Supreme Court. Um, what is it that excites you about the potential of serving in that role? Um, it is going to be, you know, fulfilling that curiosity. And it's going to be, again, you know, helping and serving the citizens of this state. Um, I've been dedicated to public service now for 35, 36 years. Um, I like it. I like dealing with issues that affect, you know, our public. Mm -hmm. I like and enjoy dealing with, you know, aspects of the law where I think we can improve. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, as judges, we have an obligation um, of when we see issues as they arise, you know, we need to bring them to the attention of our legislators and say, hey, this may be something that needs addressing. Um, and we're in a unique position because that's what we do all day is we pay attention to the law and how it affects, you know, the general public. Um, many times folks who, if you are not affected by a particular part of the law, you never think about it. That's right. Yeah. You know, you never think about it, but as judges and in this instance, you know, if elected a justice, then you would have the opportunity and the, and I think the obligation you know, to review um, and work with our legislature and making sure that, you know, the laws that are enacted are fair to everybody in the state of Arkansas and they serve the need that the legislative body has as far as its, you know, principle of what you are trying to address, that it does not go too far because many times there can be, you know, overreach. You know, we're trying to fix one problem, but yet still we're, 
you know, managing to create another. Um, that's just humans. But at the same time, when we have the opportunity and have the opportunity to review and how in cases, actual real world situations, how those things come out, it's our obligation to assist the legislature in understanding that, you know. When did you get excited and all that kind of stuff? Have you, were you like that as a teenager? Or like yes. That? Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I got in more trouble in school um, <laughs> because, you know, I love debating. Okay. Sometimes instructors it. don't want you to debate them. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, your teachers. Look, I don't get paid enough for this. Would you just yeah, listen? Would yeah, would you just shut up and yeah. listen over there, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget, you know, but I think it was just because I like the girl. Um, <laughs> this one instance, this one um, teacher, I'm up. I've walked around the room, and I'm kneeled down next to this young lady's desk talking to her and everything. And she's like, Carlton, get in your desk. You know, you're getting your seat. You're going you're to you're gonna make an F on the next test. You don't get in the desk. I'm like, I got 104 average in this class. I mean, wow. how am I going to, you know, you're going to make an F. But awesome. um, it's just no. always been there. It's been when, there. So when you got out of high school, you knew you wouldn't go into law then? Pretty much, yes. Okay. You know, um, I had a um, uh, undergrad professor who wanted me to join the Foreign Service um, with the State Department. And, um, you know, my background in political science was Latin American and Middle Eastern, you know, regions, you know. And, um, and I'm like, mm, no, I said, because I'm going <laughs> to end up in some location wherein there is going to be some folks who kidnap us and we're going to be sitting there on <laughs> CNN, you know. I've seen how this ends. Yeah, yeah. I know how this ends. So, no. But, yeah, I think, I think we're good. Um, yeah, well, tell people, um, I know that you've got to get to uh, another meeting in Jonesboro. Yes, Where can people learn more about you? Um, on my website, it is judgecarltonjones.com. Um, you can go on, read more information about me. There's Facebook link there. So if you want to you know, comment, ask a question, send an email, you can do it all right there. Okay, fantastic. Well, I can't let you go without some rapid-fire questions. Do you have time for these? Um, I think you locked the door, so, you know. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Um, all right, here we go. What is either the last show or movie you watched, or if you're not a TV person, what's the last book you read? Um, in the theater or on television? In the How about theater, both? In the theater. I'm interested in both. Gosh, man, what was that movie? Uh, me and my son went and saw it. It Seems was like had a one profound of those Marvel movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many yeah, of them. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, they run together. Uh, yes, and um, you know it was a Marvel movie. I, you know, I'll watch television and I'll see what's on there. Um, you know, so I couldn't tell you anything about what television is. Yeah. What about yeah. book? Are you, are you a Books, reader? Yes. Or are you like yes. I read so much yes. in my life, I'm done now. Well, no. Um, you know, right now, you know what I'm starting reading is a friend of mine. Um, he played for the Denver Broncos, Rod Smith, nice. oh. and um, so you know I've got his book, The Rod Way, and so I'm starting to read it. Okay, the Rod Way. I'm gonna yeah. write that down. Um, hey, anybody that's got two Super Bowl rings? You oh know. yeah. Okay, for sure, man. Yeah. Favorite band or artist? Uh, favorite band. You know, I'm old, so um, you know you got to go all the way back to you know like the 1980s, 1970s. Yeah. You know, uh, give me some Earth, Wind, and Fire, some Isley Brothers. You know, some Peter Frampton. My daughter was 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 with us, me and my wife, we were at a Peter Frampton uh, concert. And she's like, now, who's this old guy again? And I'm like, what? 
how can you say something? You know, what? <laughs> Give me one Peter Frampton song that would turn me on to him. That would make me be like, okay, like I really like some Peter Frampton. If you just got one song that I'm gonna go, I'm gonna uh, go listen to. Do you to feel it. like I do? Do you feel like I do? All right, love it. Um, can I can I pull back one thing? You said you're friends with Rod Smith. Yes, he's like the greatest undrafted NFL player of all time. I didn't know that. Yeah, but that's is he from Arkansas? Texarkana. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was like, uh, wait, is he from Texarkana? Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. in, that's incredible. He was amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know. I don't know a, a yeah I don't know a whole lot about NFL so I hope that if he's listening to this he doesn't take that as a slap in the <laughs> face you know no but those guys you know they tell you what NFL means what do you mean um, you think NFL means National Football League right mm-hmm. they the guys who play they tell you NFL means not for long ah yeah yeah that's very true how yes. long was he in it oh God what twelve uh, his career twelve or thirteen years yeah. depending on Jeez. what 12? position uh, wide, he receiver. Was wide receiver yeah. Was he with the Broncos the whole time? No. Okay. Ravens. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. The Rodway. Um, what would be your last meal? Let's start with an appetizer, maybe then main dish and dessert. Wow. It's a uh, hard one. It, it really is. This is the end, know, man. This is the end. That's what I'm saying. You're telling me this is the end of the line. Yeah. You know, um, you know and then the warden's going to walk me down to, you know. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, No. <laughs> Um, it would have to be something light. Um, you know, I would love, I love, you know, a good, um, salad, um, with some vinaigrette dressing. Um, then of course, um, for an entree, you know, um, a good grilled fish would be okay. Like a, like a salmon Mm -hmm, or a salmon or something along those lines. You do any grilling yourself, by the way? I do. I do. What do you put on your salmon? Um, usually, usually just lemon butter, you know, just lemon butter. Yes. You know, the lighter, the better to make on something like that. Okay. Um, you know, asparagus, what you can throw with it. I, I, I am you don't roll an that asparagus way. Okay. person. I mean, okay. you can give me some Brussels sprouts or anything okay. else, you know, and those are good, but I have just never been an asparagus, asparagus fan. Okay. Yes, hey, you know. no condemnation for me. What, what about a dessert? Now, see, that's where I get in trouble. You Are you know, a dessert because, guy? Oh, I love it. You know, I mean, I could go from creme brulee to, you know, look, just make me some banana pudding or a good <laughs> pecan pie or, you know. You can um, do all of it. Carrot cake. Well, see, that's the thing, you know. Um, I would have them on a long baking <laughs> list to where I I wouldn't have to go. One of each. Yes. Yeah, we got to yeah. go, Judge. Yeah. Um, give us a snapshot of just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Talking to my son. Um you know, he was born, um, you know, uh, three months prematurely. And, um, you know, for him to be with us, because the day he was born, a um, friend of mine who's a physician, he's a couple of years old now, and we had gone, to, you know, from junior high on. Um, and um, we were standing there talking, and um, at the inception of this whole escapade, this event, you know, he tells me that my son has a 1% chance of living. Wow. Okay. And uh, then a few minutes later, after they had done a couple of different procedures, he says, well, you know, it's up to 2%. I said, we're making progress. Mm. We've already doubled his chances. Mm. And um, so he spent um, about mm, 355 days in Children's Hospital. Um, He's 21, um, in good health, 
Um, he's not in school this semester, but is attending University of Arkansas, Hope, Texarkana, and um, is working on a degree in, you know, graphic design. So, How do you think, you know, I believe that suffering changes us. Uh, how do you think, like, just seeing your son, like this, this at the time, right, baby, that you would have died sure. for, right, in the hospital for that long, just seeing how fragile life is, and I'm sure you probably felt completely out of control and wanted so bad just to fix everything and couldn't. Have you ever thought about how that's changed you as a man? Perspective, okay. Um, and it's more so seeing some of the children at Children's Hospital that, um, you know, were on the uh, cancer floor and others, you know, because my son, even though it was tough, he was making progress. You know, many of those children were not. And we were there for um, Christmas in 2002. And so, you know, you're, you're looking at kids who are just happy, to see Santa, happy to get a present, okay? And so, you know, it, it really put into perspective how we many times as humans yeah. get so upset yes. and aggravated over what we did or did not get, yeah. okay? Yep. Look, they're so entitled to all these yes, things. Yeah. Yes, and these kids are just happy that Santa came to see them and that they're getting a present. Crazy. You know, so what do I have to really worry about? Yeah. Very good. Two more questions, uh, and we'll be done. Um, what is on your nightstand right now? Um, papers that I'm going through. Um, then there is a small, um, I don't know what kind of box to call it, um, and it has you know a collection of things that come out of your pocket when you yep. when you come home. Um, you know, it's something my wife put there because she said I was scarring up the. <laughs> nightstand with you know change and all of that so you know it's it's there yeah. um i'm trying to think of anything else you know um lamp a lamp i was gonna go. say there's there's a brass lamp there you know um oh wow you know and maybe maybe some rubber bands yeah you know? okay yeah perfect uh last question what is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now um my family um, you know, they um, have been with me through this process. Um, they're very supportive and um, they're having a good time of it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, as long as, you know, those things are happening, I think I'll be able to survive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making time to be here. I know I heard you say earlier, how many, uh, how many different cities are you visiting? Is it just this month you were listing? Um, I think it, I think my phone said 25. 25 you know, different yeah, cities and yes, how many miles? 3,300 and something. All right here in the state of Arkansas. Yes. Well, thank you so much for making space to be here. And uh, it's been a real joy for me to be able to hear some of your story and your perspective and your thoughts. And so uh, best of luck to you. And hopefully uh, we meet again in the future. I appreciate it. And I'll have to come back. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Thank Thank you, you guys. All right. Judge Carlton Jones has left the building. I'm going to be honest. I was a little bit nervous about this episode because I knew that my ninth grade civics class had not prepared me to have an intelligent conversation at all with anyone running for the Supreme Court, but I really enjoyed that. Judge Jones was super relatable, incredibly knowledgeable, and uh, yeah, was able to explain things in a way that I could actually understand them. So Judge Jones, thank you so much for making the time to be here, and for those of you who are still listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Really glad that you 
made uh, the time to listen to this conversation. And if you want to find more uh, conversations that we've had, listen to more episodes, you can find us. Uh, we have a website, paragonpodcast.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, and if you will, do us a favor. Uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it be Spotify or Apple or something else, take just five, ten seconds and give us a five-star rating. That just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people uh, that are living not just here in our city, but even beyond. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.